Good morning again. We are going to continue in our study in the book of Proverbs in Proverbs chapter 18. And uh, we're going to look at just a few verses from this chapter, although we're going we're to jump to another chapter in Proverbs that touches on similar themes, and we're not going to look at those other verses when we get to that, ver- that chapter. So we'll be moving around a little bit this morning. But today, as we go into Proverbs chapter 18, we're going to be looking at uh, things that are, in a way, self-destructive. Proverbs, as we've gone through it, you might have noticed, I mean, it's encouragement to behave a certain way, to make certain choices in life, and encouragement and warning not to make other choices in life. That if we were to, to follow the wisdom of Solomon, that we will be successful and live properly under the Lord. But the flip side of that is, is if we ignore his teaching, and if we engage in certain behaviors and activity, ultimately we destroy ourselves. And sometimes Proverbs points out that people are doing things and they'll act in certain ways trying to hurt other people, trying to uh, succeed based on somebody else's loss. And yet, ultimately, such behavior comes back on the one who is acting. That the one who sets a trap for his neighbor will fall into that trap. The one who seeks to get ahead by falsehoods will be brought down by those same falsehoods. And that's what we're looking at today. We've got two major sections in chapter 18. And they're looking at self-destructive behavior and choices. And conversely, how not to destroy yourself. And so let's look at these together. We're going to pick it up in verse 5. And the first section we're going to look at is verses 5 through 8. And this predominantly deals with uh, speech and the tongue. And it's continuing thoughts that began in chapter 17 about a person's speech and how they act and quarreling and things like that. But verse 5 tells us, to show partiality to the wicked is not good. And and that word partiality is the word we get uh, face from. And, And you can turn your face to somebody. And so the idea is is that to show partiality is to turn your face to somebody. And so, for instance, in the benediction, uh, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make His face shine upon you. What does that mean? It means that God would look upon you with favor. Well, this is saying to show partiality, to look upon with your face on somebody else with favor to the wicked is not good. To turn your face to the wicked, to show them favor, to show them partiality, is not good. To to say, and and crying out loud, I mean, what do we do in our country today? You know? You have people who do wicked things and they get off scot-free. You have people who who criminally go into a building and steal items and walk right out. And our country now, our culture now, our government now says... Oh, well, that's okay. They had reasons for it. I'm sure you know, they have hardship. They have all these reasons why it was okay for them to shoplift. Scripture tells us to show partiality to the wicked is not good. And, and along those same lines, 
nor to thrust aside the righteous in judgment, nor to just shove them aside, to not give the righteous judgment, to not give those who are innocent judgment on their behalf. Unfortunately, this is the way we've been going quite a bit in recent years as a culture. We show partiality to the wicked. We're more concerned when a person has committed a crime about their rights, and, and, and I'm not saying we should just run roughshod over their rights, but we're more concerned about, oh, let's not be too harsh on this person who's committed a crime, but we virtually ignore the victims of those crimes. We don't worry about the loss of life. We don't worry about the loss of business. We don't worry about those things as a culture. But Solomon says this is not good. He says, in continuing these ideas, a fool's lips bring strife, and his mouth calls for blows. That, that what a fool says, his speech brings strife and struggle and fighting and contention. But his mouth calls for blows. In other words, his mouth calls to be rebuked. His mouth calls to be punished. Verse 7 says, a fool's mouth is his ruin. His lips are the snare of his soul. That this fool, as he speaks, he is going to destroy himself. That his, it's a, his lips are a snare to his soul to trap him and to catch him up. That his mouth and the things he says are going to be his ruin, literally his destruction. Finally, in verse 8, we see the words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels. And they go down into the innermost parts of the body. The words of a whisper. Some translations translate directly as gossip. Uh, but the idea is that those who whisper, those who would gossip, those who would say secret things, those words are like dainty morsels. Things that you would be uh, tempted to uh, overeat, to swallow greedily. Oh, they're so yummy. They're dainty morsels. And yet they, they go down in the innermost parts of the body. They, they seep deep down into you. Now, I think it's pretty obvious the structure of verses 6 and 7. We, we see that lips, mouth, mouth, lips in that. Did you see that as we were going through it? As we read it, that, that lips of the fool bring strife. The mouth of the fool invites beating, it invites blows. Uh, a fool's mouth is his ruin, is his undoing. His lips are a snare. It, that structure was pretty obvious, right? And so you're kind of wondering, well, how does verse 5 and verse 8 fit in with 6 and 7 there? To show partiality of the wicked uh, and to thrust aside the righteous, that doesn't seem to have anything to do with speech. But words of a whisperer, well, that is. But here's the thing. Uh, words of a whisperer can be kind of considered as subversive words. You know, they're, they're a gossip. What is a gossip doing? They're going behind somebody else's back. They're talking about them. They're uh, trying to entice the person who listens to think or feel certain ways about another person. It's It's subversive. It's damaging. And in a similar way, when we see to show partiality to the wicked is not good, nor to thrust the righteous aside in judgment, well, that's talking about subverting justice. 
And oftentimes, the subversion of justice happens through speech. And when we say something, it becomes real. And so even though it doesn't speak specifically about talking, well, when you show partiality to the wicked, that speech is a part of that. When you turn your face to them and you thrust aside the righteous in judgment, you say, oh, that's, that doesn't matter so much. The idea is that it subverts justice. And the words of a whisper, that's subversive words. And so we see that these things that subvert lead to these lips that bring strife and are a snare. But the focus in the middle is the mouth. The mouth of a fool that invites beating. The mouth of a fool that is his undoing. That is his ruin. And, and, and so what it shows is that though there might be an action of, par, uh, of uh, partiality of the wicked and you might be thwarting justice, judgment is the focus of this passage. That there is judgment coming for this foolish talk. For these that would behave in these ways. And verse 8, the, the words of a whisper are like dainty morsels that go down into the innermost parts of the body. It's repeated verbatim in Proverbs chapter 26. And I, I want to jump there just because when we get to 26, we're not going to look at these verses. And, and they go along with this idea of, of this language that subverts justice and that is a dainty morsel that goes down to the innermost parts of the body. In Proverbs chapter 26, in verse 20 and following, we read, For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, contention quiets down. A whisperer is, is like a person who is uh, just adding fuel to the fire. And think about people in your life that have been whisperers, who are gossips, you know, there might have not been a big issue, but they keep picking away at it. They keep interjecting into it. They keep making that thing up and keep going. That uh, the contention doesn't quiet down. It just keeps growing. The argument, the fight, the struggle. If you don't have the, the whisperer, those things don't happen. Verse 21 repeats the idea, like charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. So we see that a, a whisperer is a contentious person. They're, they cause the strife. They cause the problems. Verse 22, the words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels and they go down into the innermost parts of the body. I think Solomon, he repeats this. That means he really wants us to understand this is dangerous stuff. It's dangerous because it's, it's yummy. Gossip is yummy. It's like dainty little morsels. You just want to eat more. It's not a big fat meal. No, it's like going to, the, uh, going to a, an open house and there's a charcuterie board and it's just got little bits and you can just nibble, 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 nibble and they're so yummy but they're so small so it's, it's okay. Just nibble, 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 nibble. Dainty morsels. You just want to keep nibbling away at them. Verse 23 tells us, like an earthen vessel overlaid with silver dross are burning lips and a wicked heart. It's covered up, but it's there. The wickedness is within, even if you can't see it. When he speaks, in verse 25, when he speaks graciously, or excuse me, I'm, I jumped to verse 24, he who 
hates disguises it with his lips, but he lays up deceit in his heart. So you have somebody who's flattering, who hates, but they're, they're, they don't want you to know that they hate. They're, they're sharing these little whispers. They're gossiping. They're trying to bring you into their mischief. They're creating contention and strife, but they disguise their hate. You ever have somebody say, oh, we need to pray for Joe? You wouldn't believe the things that is going on in his life. Oh, he's made some bad decisions. We need to pray for Joe. You can cover up your hate for another person, can't you? And make it sound like, oh, I really care. We just need to talk about him and get onto all his nitty-gritty and then we'll pray for him. But he who hates disguises it with his lips. He lays up deceit in his heart. Verse 25, when he speaks graciously, do not believe him. For there are seven abominations in his heart. Literally just, he is full of abomination. That seven's a, yeah, that's a perfect number right there. It's not, we're not going to list the abominations. What the idea is, is he is full of abomination. He speaks graciously, don't believe him. We need to be mindful and careful of who we hear and who we listen to and what we're willing to listen to. I, I remember a story when I, uh, first came to Eagle Mountain, one of the ladies was talking about um, uh, you know, another lady in the church, and, 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 the, and neither one of them are here anymore, so I don't know if I want to say names or not, but the, the one, the younger woman, was talking about a time, she was telling about a time that she started talking about somebody else, and the second lady, and I'll go ahead and name her Miss Emma, she said, we don't gossip and she was very frank and very mad. You know, it was, there was no beating around the bush with her at that moment. She just shut the first lady down. We don't gossip around here. And the first lady, she was relating this. I didn't see it happen. She was just relating. It shaped her up quick. <laughs> you know, whoa. But she also enjoyed the fact we don't gossip around. We don't talk about one another in these ways. This is a good thing. You have to be careful what we're willing to listen to. We have to be willing to say, I'm not going to listen to that gossip. When he speaks graciously, do not believe him. Pay attention, watch out. He's speaking graciously, don't believe him. There are seven abominations in his heart. There is wickedness in the reason why we want to talk about other people. Verse 26 tells us, though his hatred covers itself with guile, though he's very crafty in covering up his hatred, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. People who are like this, will eventually it will be evident. They cannot hide it. If they grow in this, if they allow it to fester, if they allow this to be the way they speak, though hatred covers itself with guile, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. He who digs a pit will fall into it. He who rolls a stone, it will come back on him. A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth works ruin. So there's the idea of destruction and ruin and the desire to destroy and ruin somebody else. And earlier in, in uh, chapter 18, that idea of, of subverting justice, showing partiality to the wicked and the whisperer whose words are like dainty little morsels. The focus is on destruction that uh, ultimately people who gossip seek to destroy. Their, their desire... And, and their focus, as we see in chapter 18 and chapter 26, is that their hope, their purpose, uh, a lying tongue 
hates those it crushes. A flattering mouth works ruin. It is trying to destroy. And, and people who gossip seek to destroy. Why else talk bad about somebody? You want to take them down in the eyes of the one you're talking to. Maybe you're trying to hurt them by showing their, their problems to other people. Those who, who gossip, ultimately that is what they are working at, to destroy those around them, to destroy those they talk about, those that whisper. And, and, and going back to the words of a whisperer, a lot of translations translate it as gossip, but it could also be, especially in, in, in the context of perverting justice and throwing aside the righteous in judgment, the idea of those who plot and scheme. You know, the, the whisperers. You, you, you have a time, and, and I've seen this in, in churches quite a bit, and we see it in the government. You know, people speak boldly one way, and then they go and they, they do things another way. That's the whispers. You know, they, they, they plot and they scheme. And we might put on a certain face, but then we're going to go and do a, things another way, subversively. People who do those kind of things, they, they seek to destroy. They might not actively recognize that they're trying to destroy things, but they're not doing it on the up and up. They, they, they destroy the trust that is developed in the big meeting when they go off and do things separately. They can't speak clearly and boldly, this is what I think, so then they subvert it later. They seek to destroy. And, and that's what we see, that a fool's words he seeks to destroy, that the person who is uh, a whisperer, those person who has hate in their heart, and they disguise it with their speech, and they're speaking graciously, but they're destroying the people around them. They're making contitions, con, uh, the strife, and they're growing the contentions in the world and in their environment. They're seeking to destroy. But the answer from the Lord, if we go back to that structure of verses uh, 6 and 7, lips, mouth, mouth, lips, that the lips bring strife and the lips are a snare, but the mouth calls for blows. The mouth of a fool is his ruin. The ruin of a person, and, and we see the same thing. In, in chapter 26, he who digs a pit will fall into it. He who rolls a stone, it will come back on him. They may seek to destroy, but the, the destruction will ultimately be upon them. The, the destruction will ultimately come back on them. And, and though they try to hide it, and though they try to act uh, kind and loving, even though their words are destructive, is going to come back on them because wickedness will not hide forever. A, a, a person can act one way and speak another in the shadows. But what is done in the shadows will eventually come to light. The wickedness that is in their heart, they eventually will not be able to hide it forever. The, the destruction that they are trying to do to others will eventually come upon them. Wickedness will not hide forever. And, and so to, to, to follow along in that path is a self-destructive path. It, it may be that we think, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix this group over here, or I'm going to handle this person over there, but eventually such behavior comes back on the one who does it. 
the one who speaks in this wicked way, eventually it will come back on the speaker. This is a self-destructive way to show partiality to the wicked, thrust aside the righteous. A wise person does not do these things. A wise person doesn't deal in the, the gossip and the words of a whisperer. They watch out because they know that to go that direction is ruin. To go that way is a snare. And it, it traps ourselves. Solomon continues these ideas of self-destructive ways and, and he moves from focus on speech and righteousness and justice to, to security and ideas of security. In verse 9 he says, He also who is slack in his work is brother to him who destroys. That, that's kind of an interesting thought, isn't it? Just the the person who destroys, the one who, who, who actively is destructive, we can recognize and understand to a certain extent. Oh, that, that's bad. But the one who is slack in his work, the one who's lazy, the one who just doesn't get around to it, is brother to him who destroys. It, it is destructive not to do your work well. It is destructive to be lazy. You destroy yourself. You destroy whatever plans you might have had. I don't think we usually think of it in the same way as, as being so dire in the consequences. But that's what Solomon says. They're brothers. He continues in, in, in this section, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower that the righteous seeks protection in. Conversely, in verse 11, a rich man's wealth is his strong tower or his strong city. And like a high wall in his own imagination. The idea there is that, yes, uh, wealth can protect you to a certain degree. You know, if, if you have wealth, and you have a disaster hit you, you have a greater chance of recovering than if you have no wealth. If everything you have is wrapped up into that investment and it goes away, you're toast. But if you have wealth and only a portion of what you have is wrapped up into that investment and it goes away, you can survive. So to a certain extent, a rich man's wealth is his strong city. But it's like a high wall in his own imagination. It's an unscalable protection only in his imagination. The idea being that it will not last indefinitely. And in fact, verse 12 continues that idea. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, but humility goes before honor. You know, the, right before you lose it all, you can feel pretty good about yourself. You can think, I'm secure and I'm doing all right. And generally, before destruction, that's where our hearts are. We think we're secure. We think we're fine. We think everything's going our way. We think we're, we're settled. And then destruction comes, and we didn't even recognize it. We didn't even see it. But before honor comes humility. When we humble ourselves before we get, uh, honor ourselves. And this is an idea that Jesus picks up on regularly. You know, he says, don't, don't 
when you, when you gather together and you, you're, you're sitting down, don't take the seat of honor, but take a lower seat. Because it would be better for the, the master of the house to say, you come and sit up here as opposed to, hey, scoop further down the line. You, you're taking on errors. It's better to humble yourself that you would be elevated than elevate yourself just to be humbled. Humility goes before honor. And, and similarly to our first section, uh, there's, a, there's a certain structure in these verses. In, in 9 and 12, we have the idea of destruction. One who destroys. Uh, the slack person, the one who is slack in his work, is brother to him who destroys. And in verse 12, the, the, uh, or, yeah, in verse 12, before destruction, the heart of man is, is haughty. So you have this focus on destruction coming. And then in the middle, the, this, which probably was very obvious, this contrast between a strong tower that is the name of the Lord and a strong city that is a rich man's wealth. We can hold up and think which one is truly stronger. Which one will work? And the focus, the idea in this passage is, is that our earthly attempts at security will ultimately fail. Our, our pride, our arrogance, our, our haughtiness, it will see destruction come. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty. A rich person might trust in their strong city of wealth but it's only a high wall in their imagination. It, it can't last forever. It can't overcome all disasters. It can't overcome all trouble and all problems. And you don't have to be rich to have that kind of mentality. You don't have to be rich to think, I've protected myself, I'm okay, I'm good in my own ability and in the things I've done. Because our earthly attempts at security, whether it be home or bank accounts or jobs or health, eventually they all will ultimately fail. They, they cannot overcome all trouble. They cannot overcome all trial. And if, if that is our focus, if we focus on what we can do, if we seek and, and, and take our security in our wealth or in our earthly abilities and our earthly attempts at security... Ultimately, it's going to be self-destructive. It'll end in failure. The focus, though, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. Humility goes before honor. When we, when we humble ourselves before the Lord, when we recognize I don't have what it takes, I'm not enough, when we seek to be righteous, by believing in Jesus Christ, and we humble ourselves and recognize that we need salvation and we need forgiveness and we need God, when we run to the name of the Lord, and, and when we talk about the name of the Lord, it's talking about Him. It, it's, a, it's a poetic way to talk about Him. It's kind of like when you do things in the name of the King. You know, you, you're doing it in His power, with His authority. And so the idea of the name of the Lord is a strong tower. His power, His authority. 
He is a strong tower when we trust in Him. And so the passage, verses 9 through 12, with that focus, what it's telling us is that the only true security is in the Lord. The only true security is in the Lord. Not in our earthly attempts, but by believing in Jesus Christ. By, by believing in God to provide for us as we need. To, by believing in God for justice, ultimately. Because as we saw in the first uh, few verses, justice can be thwarted. The righteous can be thrust aside in our courts. The wicked can be shown partiality. The, the whispers can win the day for a period of time. If we, if we trust in these abilities in these areas, we're going to fail. But if we trust in the Lord, even in the courts, if we don't find justice, we will find justice with Him. Even if in our lives we have people who whisper about us and gossip about us and tear us down, we will be built up by Him. And ultimately, His righteousness will prevail. The only true security we have in the world, the only true security we have in life is in the Lord. And that's what Solomon wants us as his audience to get. That wisdom is not found in the, the plotting of the whisperers and in, in hiding our, our hearts with guile and cunningness that we, we pretend to be this silver-covered vessel, but in truth we're just an earthenware vessel inside. No. Our hope isn't in, in deception. That will lead to destruction. Our hope is in the Lord and specifically in Jesus Christ for our salvation and God the Father for our provision. To go any other way is self-destructive. It may, it may get us along for a little while, but eventually... Eventually, that wickedness will not be able to hide forever. And we'll be known for who we truly are inside. But if we humble ourselves, if we run to the Lord, if we seek His provision and His protection, we seek His righteousness through Jesus Christ, then we will be known. We'll be known as those who have been redeemed. We'll be known as those who are loved by our Lord loved by our Father, provided by through Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that You would help us to be wise about the words that we listen to. We pray, Lord, that we would not listen to the foolish talk. And Lord, that we would not be those that would speak foolishly that we would turn our faces towards righteousness and justice and the innocent. Lord, that we would turn to You for our hope, for our security, that we would humble our hearts and seek You. We pray, Lord, for those whose faith is in their own abilities, whose trust is in their finances or their work, we recognize it can all be taken away so quickly.
But you are a strong tower. You are a fortress. And you can never be taken away. Lord, we pray that we would hope in you. That we would trust in you. That we would seek our security in you. We ask and pray today these things in Jesus' name.